I mean, I would, I honestly would rather fuck a Michael Keaton snowman. You're not, I'm, you know what, I'm not opposed to that opinion either. Yeah, I think, I'm sorry, he's hotter than Bruce Willis. He's hotter than Bruce I'm sorry. Okay. Oh my yeah. god. You know what, agreed I would oh, way, <laughs> I would way quicker fuck Die Hard Bruce Willis than Michael I would Michael fuck Keaton. Spotlight Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's enough. Welcome to another episode of We Explain Movies. I'm Kimmy. I'm Kayleen. And I'm Courtney. And this is the podcast where three best friends explain, rate slash review, and decide whether or not to see the latest and greatest or most beloved classics of film. This means each week, two or one of us will explain a movie to the other two or one of us in its entirety. Since this is a center for spoilers, if you haven't seen this week's movie, tune out and tune back in once you have. For other spoiler timestamps, check out our Instagram and Twitter at We Explain Movies. Here's how it's gonna go. We're going to start off with what we watched this week, move into some movie-related questions, followed by the explanation, and then we're going to close out with our watchlist ads and recommendations. You're listening to We Explain Movies. Yes, I'm really good at audio mixing now. (laughs) Like Kiyoki. You'll see. You'll see. (laughs) You'll see, Kiyoki. As always, it's been a minute. (laughs) It, It always has. It always has. Um, sorry we have lives, okay? The one thing that you can come away from as a listener of We Explain Movies is, um, undeniable consistency. Yeah. <laughs> and you should all appreciate that very much. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. So, congratulations, it's been 60 years. And we're doing Party Monster, the movie from 100 years ago, because it's been 60 years. <laughs> For us, it's only been 40. We remember it well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Party Monster, Kimmy. Your, Kimmy's going to watch a trailer in a bit because we have a guessing game that I think will take one guess. One yeah. whole guess. <laughs> I, need you I, I need you to give the clue because I'm going to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly love Colkins in general. Yeah, they're I good I love Colkins. <laughs> yeah. I love them. I love Kieran Culkin. He's not in this. I know, but I just I just like him. I love Rory Culkin. Culkin also not in this. <laughs> what did you watch this week? And by week, I mean weeks. What? Kimmy and I watched Spencer, which Courtney had already seen, and it was really dope. And there was one part that stuck with me for days and made me want to cry. Was it when she said, I wish to masturbate? That part <laughs> made me uh, so happy. We literally, like, there weren't that many people in the theater when we went. Were there? Really? Not a ton. No. More, honestly, more than I expected, though. And I, I like to laugh and shit. Like, I mm. like to laugh and... Shit, you know? And you shit? <laughs> You're like the world's worst movie theater guest. <laughs> I, I, I laugh, I shit, I clap, I poop. I cry. <laughs> but like, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah, that was That's very, why I shit myself. A very good delivery. Yeah. Uh, what was the part that you are talking about? Oh, just where she oh, wire yeah. cutters her skin. Oh, the noise. Just the noise like stuck with me for days. Yeah. I found it relatable because last night I couldn't sleep because I had an intrusive thought that I was biting down on a knife. Ah! (laughs) Really? Like this way. Ew, Ew, no, no. All my, it took me like 20 minutes to get that thought out of my head. <laughs> That's how I felt about the wire cutters. I was yeah. in bed like, it's not a horror film, Kayleen, get over it. I can imagine the blade like going over a queen. Which, oh, oh my gosh! It was though, it was kind of a horror film, you know? Yeah, I yeah, felt like in, it. A way. It, in the way that Shiva Baby is. Yeah. <laughs> Just very like claustrophobic and intense and like mm-hmm. in, intrusive, really. Yeah. And the music was like horror film sound, yeah. like horror film score. Also so, the color palette and oh. like the visual aspect of it is so beautiful. That's why it makes me want to rewatch Jackie, but what Kayleen was saying about the composer, Johnny Greenwood is the composer, and he's going to be competing against only himself at the Oscars this yeah. year. <laughs> he's got so many things. He's, um, he's got The Power of the Dog, which I'm going to talk so about funny. in a bit. 
And a couple others. He's crushing it. Ooh. Yeah. He's great. Um, <clears throat> I think that overall, I can. I think it's a very, very good movie. Like, I obviously thought it was really good, and I, I loved it as a piece of art. Like, as far as, like, on the whole, like, entertainment factor, that's not really, like, why I think people would go to watch it. Yeah. So, in my book, it's not something that I, like, would rate five out of five for me. But what is fucking five out of five is Kristen Stewart's goddamn performance, man. Go see that shit for her. So transformative. Yeah. I, I thought it was her. I, I mm. did think it was her. Like, yeah. at the beginning, I was, like, a little bit nervous that I wouldn't be able to separate. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what I mean. But, like, the way she walked, the way, like, her hands were, the her behavior, like, the way she talked, like, so, even if it wasn't an exact replica of mm. Princess Diana, it was someone else. It was a strong comparison. Yeah. Like, she definitely... Yeah. Held a candle to that. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said the 5,000 candles, but I forgot that's the joke song. Huh? Candle in the Wind. Oh, the one from <laughs> Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, super good. Now that you guys have seen it, I just really remembered, um, like, when I wanted to talk about it and stuff, I thought it was, like, really powerful how it opens with that corridor of the kitchen. And there's, like, a sign that was, like, keep your voices low, they hear everything. Yeah. I was like, ew, I don't want to work somewhere that says that. Yeah, that's so yeah. Meanwhile, she has to live in it. Ugh. Yeah, I know. And I guess, like, we really, I was reading a couple articles about, like, why people thought it was, like, such a good film and, and stuff. And a lot of the movies uh, or biopics or whatever about Princess Diana are seeing her in, like, as who we imagine her to right. be. And, like Her best self. Yeah, like, her best self. Yeah. And... This is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, this is hard, and and she's a flawed person, and she's a relatable person, mm-hmm. obviously. She was an amazing mother. She was an amazing mother. I love that. I love that relationship. I love them up, like, at midnight yeah. around in the mm-hmm. circle. It was so That cute. was so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. I think my one of my favorite moments of her performance, just because as actors ourselves... I find it easier to cry than to laugh convincingly. And when she's on the beach and she's talking to Sally Hawkins <laughs> and she makes her laugh and they're both just like giggling and like touching shoulders and stuff, I'm like, this is so cute and genuine yeah. feeling. Yeah, I just think it was a really unique story to be told about mm-hmm. that person. I love that it only took place in the span of like three days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine living that life for a decade as she had to. Yeah. And then, and oh, what I was saying was that she has nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Well, she has Sally, and then they take her away. Yeah. And then she has the chef, and it's like, he still can't really be that person for you, though, because he has to attend to all this other stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And I, I also love the story about the horse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when he said the punchline of the story, I won't give it away because I want people to see it. Should I say, should I give it away? <laughs> No, it sounds no. so vague right now. No. Oh, no, Spalding, right? What's his name? A horse? I hardly know. <laughs> What's the guy's name? Oh, Timothy Spalding. Timothy Spalding, yeah. Like, he tells a story about a horse or whatever, yeah. and I was, like, enraptured by the whole scene. And then the way it ends, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was thinking of oh, endings. When, P- when Peter Pettigrew tells her about the horse? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of endings. Like, what what could be, like, the moral of the story? Yeah, and, fucked up. Yeah. And, I don't know. I thought that whole scene was, like, incredibly <laughs> satisfying, man. Spencer, go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, other things you should go see, but you can't. Mwahaha. 
We all saw the tragedy of Macbeth at an early screening yesterday. It was sexual. Uh, we got to see it early. Yes. Thoughts? Thoughts? I think, out of the three of us, I think I might have liked it the most. Really? I think I feel like I had the least invested in it. Like, I like Macbeth, but not so much that I was... I wasn't really setting it to any... I wasn't like, it needs to be anything for me. I was just, like, letting it wash over me. And I think... It had a lot to do with the sound design, production mm-hmm. design, and I think the black and white like really served the story Me well. Too. It did. Me I felt too. very even just the beginning when the birds are flying around. I had this like feeling wash over me that I haven't had in a while in a movie where I was like, I'm in it. Like yeah. from the beginning, I was in it. Yeah, I felt it go by so fast in in both a good way and a bad way because. It, it just felt like I was re-watching a movie I've seen a billion times because I knew, like, every beat that yeah. was going to come. And I was like, how are we fucking... Oh, my gosh, we did Whiplash! It goes so fast! <laughs> it felt like I was on a roller coaster that was yeah. just, like, jettisoning me forward. But um, I just felt like it was really fast-paced, which, aside from what it was, is great for Shakespeare. It's, it's digestible, mm. it's exciting, it was fresh, and it just kept you going. I thought a lot of original, unique choices were made, and, like, above all, it came down to production design for me, mm-hmm. and the sound design, like you said, especially with Catherine Hunter, who was playing the witches. Yeah. Incredible performance. Yeah. Terrifying. And, like, truly, we were scared. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fun. Her intro is like, I won't forget that. Yeah. Um, I had, like, a lot of questions about it, just because I was like, why why you do that, sir? Like, mm. Ross is not that character, and it... Which one spoilers, is that? spoilers for Tragedy of Macbeth. The the man wearing like the crop top that like Oh, I arms. love that fucking costume. The crop <laughs> yes. top with the little flowy arms. It okay, so he, like, the, he's like a priest or something, right? No, he's not even supposed to be. He was wearing a tunic, but it was like a, a tunic. Tunic. <laughs> yeah, a tunic. He looks like that yeah. thing from Courage the Cowardly Dog. <laughs> I don't think I know what you mean, but it's like one of the most famous like scary creatures, and it just goes. Ooh, in the wind with his arms. Ew. Anyway, that's what we look like. And I, I thought his character was great, and I thought they used him really effectively. It just made me go, why? Uh, he was doing stuff that a whole bunch of other people should have been doing. Oh. And I was like, where's Lennox? That was really interesting, because I was like, he's like a puppet master in a way. Yeah. Uh, more so it felt to me than the Weird Sisters. And I was like, they're oh, yeah. kind of controlling yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just getting nitpicky and spoilery, so I'm sorry. There's going to be timestamps for this, I guess. Um, wow. Yeah. This is I guess, the oldest yeah. thing we've Never spoiled. Never mind. Shut <laughs> up. You know what? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I had gripes with the apparition scene. I didn't like that it was just a little boy in the water. I was like, this is your moment to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And it just felt kind of like the pandemic was holding it back, especially with how cool the production design was elsewhere. I gotta say, though, those Burnham Wood trees coming through, that was fire. That was yeah. so The scene beautiful. where they open up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So good. Also, like, this is a play, uh, there's, you know, a few Shakespeare plays where it's like, I've seen and or read them many, many times. So this is one where I already have a lot of background knowledge, but there were a lot of, in particular, lines where I was like, because of the way that they've made it in this movie, I think a lot of people are going to understand it. Yeah, like, just with a lot great. of the visuals that were then followed by lines, which you're like, now that makes sense because I just saw something, mm-hmm. rather than people trying to be like, I don't understand Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Wish. It's so I mean, much about intention and behavior when it comes to the performance. Yeah. Like, you could be saying, like, it's like, it's the difference between someone putting on Shakespeare and somebody understanding what the text is about and mm-hmm. showing us that in their behavior, and I think all those actors I thought really every character it. really lived it. Every actor, rather, was living it and 
was embodying their character. And so even when it would go like fast, or even when I kind of wanted Francis or, or Denzel really to milk it even more, I was like, you have the time. Mm-hmm. You're the leads. Mm-hmm. Do what you want. They just were like, let's do this. And they yeah. kept going. Um, and I think that, yeah, maybe for any other audience member, like it'll serve that purpose really well. Yeah, I really liked it. I want to see it again, obviously, and I'm going to um, try real hard to make it a field trip at my school. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be sick. That would be sick. Um, kids are going to get traumatized by those witches. <laughs> for yeah, sure. Super scary. Yeah. I, I already talked to you guys about this, but my desire was that people would have been more emotional, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some, like, traumatizing shit happening, and everybody was very stoic and digesting it very well in this world, but also... Also, I was like, maybe that's the tone they were going for. And I also really liked the fact in the Q&A that they spoke about how, I believe he said the production designer. Was meant to feel like a stage. That Shakespeare is meant to feel like not realism. Mm -hmm. It's not realism. It's more dreamlike. And I was like, I get it. You did that. That, 100%. Yeah, you really get that feeling when you see Duncan stepping out of the tent in the middle of the night and the stars are like burning balls of fire inches away from us. That was Mm -hmm. such a gorgeous shot to see. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even just his castle was terrifying to look at. Like it's yeah. so prominent, it's so menacing, and there's just all these like steep things to fall off of. Really, really effective. Yeah. Ten out of ten for the production design. Yeah. I, I just it's just felt like a movie experience that I hadn't really quite had before. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like who's making shit like that? Go see the tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. Get that Shakespeare in your life. Solo stuff. Would Would you all watch on your own? I would just like to um, talk about some TV for a second. Okay, no. That's okay. Um, very briefly, going to talk about Why the Last Man. Oh. Um, I don't know if uh, it's been so long, so I'm sure people know by now, but it's been canceled. That's crazy. It's been canceled. And you know what? I believe it. Oh, really? <laughs> Did it get bad? I stopped watching I it. I stopped out watching <gasps> it as well. Really? I lost interest. I thought it was so good in the beginning. It Dude. was. like The, oh. the first episode was killer. And yeah. Now, more and more I think about it, maybe it really isn't a story that's supposed to be televised or, or on film. Because the graphic novel is so good, and I just didn't really care very much about any of the characters mm. in the TV show. Enough. And I don't really know what happened, but I think it's okay that it's going to bed. Dang. You know? Sleep, sweet prince. <laughs> <laughs> it Sleep <sucks>. no more. <laughs> it sucks. It really sucks, because I was so excited about it, and now yeah. I'm just like... Was, I don't want to watch it. That was me with Lock and Key. Thankfully, the graphic novel I've loved even longer, The Umbrella Academy, is as good as it is. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. But Lock and Key, it's the second season's out, and I'm like, get out of here! You're hurting her! Stop it! Are you going to watch it? <laughs> I tried. Oh, you tried. Mm. Uh, but also, I feel like maybe it's for a younger audience, and I don't know if Why the Last Man was. I feel like it was for our age range, and it just kind of wasn't hidden. Um, and the other thing on TV that I'm watching right now, or that I already watched, already watched it. I watched Arcane, the League of Legends. Oh, you no, did. don't tell me anything. Oh, don't tell you anything? Uh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't tell you anything. I just like. <laughs> I would tell you anything? No, I just, I won't. Oh. I won't. Yeah. But I don't really, I don't know anything about League of Legends. Me neither. Oh. But I know everything about Haley Steinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, again, like another piece of like media that I feel like I've never seen before. Mm. Like the kind, like the way that it's made and stuff like mm. that. But, but I, I haven't. And so it was a great introduction to that kind of thing. And I thought it was cool. Just to depression watched it for a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time that I didn't leave the house. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did watch the whole thing. Cool. <laughs> Go me. That's it for TV. <laughs> well, speaking of TV that w- was watched really fast, 
I watched Crashing, which is another Phoebe Waller-Bridge show that was, it turns out, like, actually kind of around the same time as Fleabag. Uh, really similar to Fleabag. <laughs> nice. It's, like, very similar vibes. She's, like, her character's pretty similar. N- not in a bad way. Like, the whole story is different, and the characters that she's surrounded by are pretty different. But it's, like, the same kind of goofy, raunchy humor. I really like it for the sense that it's not... Like, it's set in reality, but it doesn't really seem... Most of the interactions and stuff seem very, like, um... In the same way a sitcom does, where it's like, that kind of shit doesn't happen all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, people's lives aren't like that from day to day. But it was really cute and funny, and it was only six episodes, and they were, like, 20 minutes long, so I blew right through it. Wow, we watched a third of it and had no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's really fucking true. Yeah. It's been two years since Kimmy and I watched (laughs) two episodes. You like the last four episodes. I I believe you. Yeah. That's nice. I just feel like I'll watch the whole time and be like, I just want to watch season two of Fleabag. And then you go and do that again. Yeah. That's fun. I know. Even though I, like, just did it. I just did it. (laughs) Yeah, it ends in a way where it's like, you know, things are wrapped up enough, but it's still like, oh, I wish I could see the rest, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. There is no rest. I watch TV as well, which I think Kimmy has. Hawkeye. It's oh, so good. Hawkeye's so good. Too, yeah. I didn't watch this most recent episode. I love Hawkeye. Yeah, I, I love that. Hawkeye too. Hawkeye's my favorite adventure. <laughs> Hawkeye's your favorite adventure. <laughs> no, but Kate Bishop's about to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so good. And that, the third episode. No, I know. Then so I watched far. it. The one where they well, talk. Hush, hush, hush. Then you're caught up. Oh, okay. Hush, hush, hush. I thought there was one yesterday. No, there's going to be one day after tomorrow. The deaf representation in that show is stellar. I'm living for it, and Haley Steinfeld is just so good, and they, like, gave her the show. It yeah. opens on her origin story, and then everything after that is, like, Hawkeye helping her. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, it should be. As it should yeah. be, Jeremy. Yeah, so it's really good. I love Hawkeye. Yeah, I it, love Hawkeye. It's, like, up there for, with WandaVision for me. It's just such a fun time, and it's... Wa- definitely watch it as the season, because it's so Christmassy. Like, there's so much Christmas oh, going yeah, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Christmas, yeah. Yeah. Movie time? I watched The Power of the Dog, mm. which I like was... I keep saying it like that. I don't know how else to say it. The Power of the Dog, <laughs> because the whole time you're like... <laughs> as soon as, like, a dog came in at, like, minute 45, you're I was like, like... it's power! No, all of us were just like, you stay away from that dog, he's powerful! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel and I were having a lot of fun, and then, like... The young, like, twink in the movie has, like, a pet rabbit, and I was like, oh my gosh, that rabbit's gonna die, and Daniel was like, he's gonna eat that rabbit, and then Benedict Cumberbatch is gonna be like, that's the power of the dog. (laughs) (laughs) You don't find out what that means until the very last second of the movie, and it had an amazing ending, like, one of those ones where I feel like I've been waiting for that, like, for years, like, where you just love an ending to a movie, and you're like, yes! Mm. What?! It's just so tasty and so good and just so earned. Mm. But along the way, it was the most beautiful film. Not more beautiful than The Tragedy of Macbeth, but one of the most beautiful films. Really well acted and just like a good character study of mm. a movie. Like, it was nice to just sink your teeth into that, I bet, for Benny. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And for Kirsten. She did a really good job. Kirsten Dunn. Jesse yeah. Plemons, always a treasure. He was there, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Cody... Cody Smith McPhee. Something like and that. And then Cody was there. Um, <laughs> and he was really good. And the whole time you're just like, what's going to happen? And you, you have so many guesses as you're watching it. There's cool. so many things to think is going mm-hmm. to happen. And none of them do. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Love it. Yeah. I really liked it. 
I, I know that I feel like I use this term a lot, but like it was a slow burn. It was a great twist. It was all those things that you want in a movie. And shout out to Jane Campion. Yeah. Really good movie. She hasn't made a movie in like over a decade because she's been doing TV. Oh, shit. But awesome. For other movies that I watched, the day after Thanksgiving, I watched Little Women by Greta Gorin. Nice. Oh, yes. I also did. Did you really? Way to copy me. Did yeah. you really? Yeah, she, I logged it. She and logged then, it before you, and then you <laughs> logged it, and then I was like, guess they're hanging out watching Little Women without me. No! <laughs> I, I must have... No, I didn't watch it on Friday. I watched so it on, th- on Saturday. So you just had a girl's dance on Spencer and then Little Women. And then <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I watched it by myself and cried the whole time. It was great. Yeah. yeah. I watched it with uh, Riley, because <laughs> apparently she loves the book. Okay. Was and it yeah. bad for her? Was it bad for her? No, I just... <laughs> we were both pretty drunk, and I don't think she gave two shits about watching it. No. It was a mistake for me to try to show it to no. her at that time. I just... I said, today, what I'm going to do is put little women on, cry, and have a good time. <laughs> and that's what I did. Was this the same day you depression watched Arcane? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. That's a lot of watch. Yeah. It was, it was. I didn't leave the house. That's what I'm yeah. telling you, okay? <laughs> and, okay, I also watched King Richard. Oh, same. Oh, oh fucking, mm-hmm. fucking Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched it with my dad. It, I think my, with brain, your dad? my yeah. brain was, like, still in Shakespeare time, and I was yeah. like, King Richard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one with the hump. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed the movie. I thought I like always surprise myself because I I love sports movies and mm. I never think I'm going to when I watch it. But by the end, I'm like, what's gonna happen, you know? And my mom had us like growing up watching Venus and Serena Williams on Aww. play tennis and stuff because mm-hmm. my mom played tennis and like she was like they're the best. Yeah, everybody did great. But I have a problem with the movie. I mean, that's not what the movie is. Yeah, <laughs> it's not Venus and Serena's. Mm, it's it's not. not called Queen Venus and Queen Serena. No, yeah. it's not. And, yeah. Like, <laughs> That's what I wanted. I know, you know, I know. I'm in the same boat as you, but like you kind of got to go into it and be like, okay, we're we're hearing a man's story, and it is nice that it's apparent behind the scenes mm-hmm. because you do have to consider like every famous person we love, they have a parent that was like behind them supporting them. Maybe not everyone. Like I'm sure people yeah, have shitty yeah. parents, but it's like there are these kids who made it, and their dad was really working hard for them. I do think the day will come and we do need it when Venus and Serena get their own movie. Yeah. That's just not what this was for now. Yeah, and that yeah. was disappointing. Daniel was like, isn't it sad the first movie about them is about their dad? Yeah, that was my main gripe. <laughs> yeah, the kids didn't even really get, like, their own moment. No, and you know what? The kids were fucking good. Yeah, they were. Oh, yeah? They were. And, That's like, cool. there was a part where I was like, she looks just like her. Mm. It was so cool. It was sick as hell. And they just, like, really didn't get a lot of screen time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then last night I watched Shang-Chi. Which Good I watched you. today. Yeah? Oh, fun. Yeah. Yo, I have to tell you, like, I watched it with my sister. It was my sister's idea mm-hmm. to watch it. And it's the beginning, like, the part where it's like, and here is, like, the story about the Ten Rings or mm. whatever. And I'm fucking crying. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking crying. Over the Ten Rings or over him meeting the woman in Talo? No, over the fighting style. Oh. 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 I just got so emotional because it's awesome mm-hmm. and dude flirty fighting is what's up <laughs> <laughs> it's just like so unique and it's so cool that they get to integrate this whole new like genre aspect, pretty much this whole genre yeah. of, of fighting and stuff and it, it's just so fucking cool i just had to cry it's just <laughs> so cool that this is happening and Simi Liu is so fucking cool yeah. and so 
funny. Yeah. And yeah, then he was they, cute. they bring it into the modern day with the friggin' bus fight scene. And that I, bus was fight scene. So I taught that today in my class, in, in both of my class periods. So we got to watch it twice. And then after school, I was like, oh, I'll watch that scene again. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Because I get chills in the bus fight scene. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And I, before you walked in today, Kayleen, I was telling Courtney that the monsters, have you seen it? Yeah. The monsters are fucking disgusting. <laughs> oh, like, the little winged things? I don't really care yeah. about any of the other monsters in, in the Marvel Universe. It's just like, oh, it's the monsters. Yeah. These monsters are fucking disgusting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, I love those those fuzzy things. Oh, oh yeah. Dens. Yeah. That's yeah. like an, an ancient Chinese yeah, like, legend. I remember you said that. Which is really cool. I thought they were adorable. They're so cute. Yeah. Also, I want more Aquafina. Just, like, give me more <laughs> Aquafina. And that's all. Are they going to kiss? No, and I... Are they going to kiss? I yelled at so many 8th graders today for asking the same question. Kimmy, they can be platonic friends. I know, but Shut I the still fuck up. want them to kiss. No, I don't want them to kiss. Are They're they gonna besties. Scissor? I don't want them being any kind of romantic. Are they going to do Lady on Her Back? No, no. God. All my kids, they were like, kiss. And I was like, shut up! They're friends! <laughs> they can be friends, too, but... Also. I'd like to imagine that they were saying that during his fight scene. They're like, kiss Aquafina. <laughs> <sighs> She's so cool. I watched Minority Report solely because I wanted to listen to the Tom Cruise Film Friends episode because they were on hiatus for so long and I was like, I want to listen to it and I've been wanting to watch Minority Report so I didn't want them to spoil it for me. What was the bad one they did? They Well, they did his best and worst sci-fi movies and I want to say Vanilla Sky was technically the worst. <laughs> okay. But Bailey loves that movie. So it was more like, we're just going to talk about movies we want to talk about. Cool. And Minority Report was like sick. It was, um, it's like early 2000s action. It's a pretty unique premise. Basically, the idea is there are, it's called pre-crime cops and they can see crimes that are about to happen and the opening scene of the film is so fucking cool because Tom Cruise is looking at a crime that's going to happen where someone kills his wife who uh, he just caught cheating on him and so they have to go like figure out where the guy is but that they only have so much time before it happens and then anyway the whole plot of the movie is Tom Cruise sees a crime that he committed so he has to hide it and then he has to run and then he has to try to prove that he's not going to commit that crime it's pretty cool. That is cool. Sounding. So for people who like early 2000s action, because you have to like those things. It's like sci-fi, though. Yeah. But action. He runs a lot. <laughs> he, like, runs around a lot. <laughs> um, He's was, always running. Yeah. Yeah. But it was cool. And I'd never seen it before. I was like, that was a pretty unique movie. So I liked that a lot. Question time. Question time. Question time. First question related to Party Monster. What's your favorite movie based on a true crime story? Can I go? Sure. Okay, my honorable mention is, one of them is The Bling Ring, just because that's more, like, goofy, and I wanted to think of more, like, dark true crime, but The Bling Ring was really fun. That's one of mine. And that I was kept, one of yours? I, 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 I just like deleted it, too. <laughs> I was like, I like this one, I'm going to talk about it. It's fun! I, yeah. I had a fun time watching that, and it's, it is, like, when they break into a celebrity's house, I'm like, that's sad that that happened to you, but, like, ooh, it's Paris' house. I kind of just like it, because, yeah, it's more lighthearted. I'm like, so many people are dying. <laughs> this yeah. is funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, my second honorable mention is Changeling. The part where the murderer, like, sings at the end. I just remember the part where that one little boy is, like, telling about his experience, and he's essentially, like, the one who cracks the case he's open. He's, like, corroborating And he's pointing yeah. at all the boys that he saw there, and one of them is her son. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. But, they, but she never finds out. 
She well, never finds out. But, but, like, we know. But they don't recover his body. No. They don't recover, like, any of their bodies. Back to the bling ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's sad. a dark one. Um, yeah. And then my favorite, which is kind of slutty because it's a miniseries, but I was fucking shook by Waco. That limited series, I thought it was so good, and it was that kind of thing where, and I've told you guys this, but where when it was over, I, like, I couldn't even cry because I was just so horrified and upset, but they did so well, and I'm definitely, like, going to go back and rewatch it. I just know it's, like, heavy on your soul yeah. to watch. and Also with a Culkin. Also <laughs> with a Culkin, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's my answer. I'll go next because mine are rando. Do you have a miniseries on your list? I have one miniseries on my list. Ooh, I'll let you do spicy. it because I know what it is. No, you, I, it might not be. Okay, yeah, so Bling Ring was an honorable mention. I've talked about it a billion times. So Zodiac, other mm-hmm. honorable mention. I still don't think Gary did it. I don't think he's our guy. I think Arthur <laughs> Lee Allen is our guy. Gary, his name's Gary. <laughs> Go back to John Carroll Lynch. It was him. Um, and then I also had the same vibe of let's do miniseries because mm. I would have full cheated and done all documentaries. Those are based on, but they're not the same. So yeah. anyways, um, my miniseries uh, answer is When They See Us by mm. Ava DuVernay. Okay, fine. I thought you were going to give me sad. I thought you was were going to do... Was that the limited series you were thinking, Kimmy? <laughs> <I thought you're... laughs> what do you think she was going to say? I thought she was going to do Unbelievable. Like, I didn't even think about... Yeah. Okay, now she's adding it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I find it weird that you're, like, deleting them. You can just, like, not say them. But Kimmy's over there, like, every time we say when her eyes get wide, she press the button. I'm, like, narrowing it down. I put a lot because I there were so oh, many yeah. good ones, you know? Yeah. No, I think When They See Us is a really important miniseries directed by Ava DuVernay, and it is just so powerful. It's only four episodes... That really take us through every step of what happened during the case of the Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that should be like required viewing for everyone in law enforcement today because it just shows you how wrong things can go when you are racist, when you decide who your perpetrator is and you just zone it on that. And that's right. your only And then it's focus. like you're trying to find evidence. You're trying to find it, but also they flat out lied. They did so many wrong things. Yeah. And Daniel and I just watched the documentary about Adnan Syed. And you see that they were doing the same shit to him as they did just a couple years prior in Mm -hmm. Central Park. But that case hadn't been, like, blown open yet. So these poor boys were in prison and lives were ruined and everything. And it's just, like, there's just so much wrong with this country and this really sheds a light on that. That um, It's a very powerful show. I loved it. But it's dark. Mm -hmm. On to Kimmy. All right. For my first honorable mention, yes, unbelievable. I love that show. Mm-hmm. Tony Collette, Mara Weaver, Caitlin Deaver. Mara Weaver, Caitlin Deaver. Also honorable mention because it's kind of like behind the scenes of the crime that happened, but Spotlight, you guys. Mm, Spotlight. Love Spotlight. Spotlight is so fucking good. I can't believe it took me so long to watch that goddamn movie. <laughs> Man, that might be my top, but I put my top as The Strangers. It's not. We found out that was fake. It's not about the real crime. It's based on, like, a collection of, like, very similar (laughs) crimes. Okay. Right? There wasn't a thing where anyone was like, because they were home, we murdered them. That's, like, the fake lore. And I mean, like, I don't think they were wearing masks. I think the idea is just home invasions happen. People are Are crazy. Are you fucking serious? We had this whole conversation when we watched that one time. There's not, like, a couple that had this experience, because they're dead. How would we know? I think there's a lot of madness to the world. Pick something else. <laughs> <laughs> Say it's Spotlight. Talk well, more about Spotlight. You can still talk about The Strangers, but it 
But when I just watched it recently with Dakota and the thing popped up that was like based on a true story, I was like, these blatant fucking liars. And yeah. then I redid my research and I was like, you look made, at these liars. You made sure that it's it, not. We all did it that time story. we watched it. Like it, it's so loosely as in just like that could happen. It could happen. Are you that 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 can't be legal. <laughs> It's leaked. It's based. <laughs> Quote, it's based. based. Based on just, like, generally crimes. <laughs> it's fucking based. Uh, <laughs> move on. Pick a new one. So you're, okay, well, I guess Spotlight. <laughs> just say my answer is Spotlight. No, you should keep all that shit in. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's shame the strangers for mean, false advertising. I want to talk about it, like, more. Oh, yeah. Now they're going to come... Don't don't put that in. <laughs> Ew, don't even put that evil upon me, Ricky Bobby. Jesus. You know what? I was feeling bad for Kimmy because she had it rough that round, but I want to go first with the next question. Spotlight, <laughs> <laughs> okay. you guys. <laughs> I'm going to introduce it. So the second question is, what's your favorite celebrity friendship? And I was inspired because Party Monster obviously stars Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green, who I feel like most people on the planet know are really good friends. And I um, recently have been listening to some of the Bunny Ears podcast episodes, even though I don't think they're making new episodes, which is sad. But it's Macaulay Culkin's podcast, and there's an episode with both Seth Green and Brendan... Oh my god, what's his fucking name? Breckenmeyer. Breckenmeyer. Oh, love Breckenmeyer. Yes. And so they're both on there. And Seth talks about how he and Macaulay met, apparently, because they're both child actors, so they were like around and knew about each other and they were both like in the celebrity scene and stuff and had a lot of the same friends and they were both really good friends with Sarah Michelle Gellar and they both went to go see her host SNL and they were like at the same table and they're like oh yeah like I know you oh I know you and they like struck up a conversation and like kind of got to know each other then and maybe even hung out a little bit and then they both got offered this movie and they were like oh my god like I loved that guy, and this is, like, where they got to be fully friends for Interesting. the first time. I felt like they're... Wow. It seems like, like they're, they, like, best they friends already. already. Besties, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wait, okay, so wait. What year is this movie made? 2003? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa. I definitely didn't... Ex- I thought it was going to be, like, 1992. It looks fucking earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, favorite celebrity <laughs> friendship? Favorite celebrity friendship. I go first. Because did <laughs> My honorable mention is John Mulaney and Nick Kroll. Mm. Like it. I would die for Oh Hello. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just so funny. Everything they do together, I'm just so happy for them. And um, spoilers for John's new, like, tour that he's going on. He has a great story about Nick's participation in his intervention. Oh, and yeah. And it's just so, like, he... he <laughs> He's got a joke in it where he name drops everyone who was at his intervention, but it's like, he says, it was a star-studded intervention, but like Nick really went kind of off the rails in it, and it's pretty funny. Um, my real answer, because like when I'm sad, I boy do I just go watch compilations of them together, is Elizabeth Olsen and Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh. Their press junket for Angered Goes West. It cured my Aww. depression. <laughs> they show up in the same dress. Well, Aubrey does. Aubrey, like, found out this, what's, like, I mean, I'm sure they were in on it, but it's, like, the joke is that Elizabeth is there first on the red carpet, and Aubrey shows up wearing the exact that. same outfit as her, 
And then just like there's a, a festival of theirs where they might be in like Toronto or something and it's friggin' freezing outside and like Aubrey's shivering and Elizabeth just like puts her scarf around her and like warms <laughs> her up and hugs her. And I'm I'm not convinced that they didn't have an affair. Like they're in love. <laughs> I've never watched any videos oh my of them gosh, together. It's good. And it's just nice because there's so many. They did so many interviews together, they talk to each other and they just have so many silly things. Cute. And it's just so adorable. And yeah. I love them both so much. Fucking adorable. Yeah. That's my answer. Okay, honorable mention number one. Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. Nice. <laughs> I mean, what else do you need to say? That's that's fucking incredible. <laughs> I'm happy for them. Me too. Second honorable mention. Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph. Love it. Mm, very like, nice. I love them. They mm-hmm. are so funny. They're never not funny. Yeah. They are like those kind of people where when they're going to do a monologue or something together, I'm already laughing. Oh, yeah. yeah for because sure. I just like looking at what them. What are you going to do this time? Like, I, whatever it is, it's 100%. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, but my real answer is too predictable of an answer. Oh, my God. It's Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. Oh, I thought you were going to say Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Oh, I thought you were say. oh my God. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you used to talk to me about that all the time. <laughs> Anyone understood you? I don't care. I don't, I don't want to say it too loud. I don't want the universe to hear. No, Oscar. What if they die together? Shut no! up! Holding no! hands in their bed like yeah. in a notebook. Like no. I was going to say, like in Titanic. They're yeah. spooning each other. I don't. They are going to live forever. doesn't matter. Okay? Okay. okay. Is that your answer? No, no, no. That's not my answer. I'm I don't like, know. Did you see her reaction? Yeah. That's a good answer. I didn't even think about it. Also, that. like, I'm scared that Oscar's going to get divorced because of what Jessica's <laughs> I don't wish ill like that, but... But look at her wishing ill like that. Yeah. Look at that face. Kimmy literally just pulled out a lucky penny and blew on it. <laughs> they went to school together. They have such a great, like... <laughs> doesn't matter what I say. It's too inappropriate. No, I think that they work really well together, and I love that they have a friendship, and I just, I just in my mind, I think that that's, like, really... Like, my dream, I feel like. Like, to know a friend, like, really well and then get to, like, work opposite each other, like, in a film. and Because it takes, like, a lot of trust and comfortability to do some of the stuff that they're doing. And it's, like, that sounds like a lot of fun. They have a platonic friendship, Kimmy. That's yeah, fine. stop telling them to kiss. <laughs> stop telling them to scissor. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Why would they scissor? Why would they scissor? Because they scissor. You said it about Sean and Katie, and I took offense. <laughs> I didn't say that they were gonna scissor. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you let Kayleen into my home. <laughs> Scissoring's happening, okay? <laughs> They're my two favorite actors. That's all. I don't. I don't have anything else to say. Okay. Honorable mention number one for me is Michelle Williams and Busy Phillips. Although I'm not like a particular, I'm not like either of those women is my favorite actress of all time or anything. But anytime that I see one of them at any event, the other one's always there. They're always like arm in arm. And fucking anytime Michelle Williams has won an award, they always cut to Busy Phillips who's like sobbing and clapping. And I just think it's like they've yeah. been friends forever. And they seem to have like a really strong bond. And I love that for That's them. That's nice. Um, my other one of honorable mentions is the women of One Tree Hill seem mm-hmm. to be really, really close. Yeah. And listening to their podcast is really sweet. And I'm glad that even though lots of that experience have been tainted by men who worked on that show, I'm glad that they have, like, such strong friendships and that they were able to, like, 
get past that and be like strong women who support each other. It was awesome. So yeah. happy James Lafferty has never done anything wrong. I know. They talk about him like such a sweet baby boy, and it makes me so pleased. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my my real answer, which is obvious, just like Kimmy's answer was, is Justin Long and Sam Rockwell are such good friends. Anytime the Justin Long posts a picture of the two of them, I screenshot it and I'm like, I don't need all these on my phone. Uh, <laughs> that's not healthy. But they're so cute. There's like literally a photo of, um, I can't remember if it was all three of them or if it's just Sam and Philip Seymour Hoffman, but like the three of them used to hang out. And there's like a photo of them wrestling. I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. I love them both. Kimmy, yeah. it's time to watch the Party Monster trailer. Oh my god. But before that, we have a guessing game for you. Oh my god. <laughs> there is someone in this movie that none of us knew was in it. Okay. Think about who Courtney would hate to see in this movie. Oh, um, fucking Chloe Savini. Yep, she's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> And you made that fucking joke. Yeah, and you, you make it? she threatened That's me. That's what I thought. I made a joke about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the last episode, you're like, what if Chloe Savini's in it? She fucking is, Kimmy, you cursed she it. She is? That's <laughs> hilarious. Wow, I, I'm hilarious. That's yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had a Kate Lee in the DVD, and I was like, look at Chloe Savini being on the cover. And she goes, That's Evan Rachel Wood. And I was like, I fucking wish it was. Oh, no. Yeah, and you know what? Do not mistake the two. I've been like really racking my brain. I swear to God, someone, I think because you know, we follow so many podcasts mm-hmm. on Instagram. I swear to God, and I'm sure it's gone now because I'm sure someone was like, That's Chloe Savini. But I swear. That that picture has come up on my Instagram and that someone was like, look at Evan and Rachel Wood in this outfit. And I was like, there she is. And in my head, I was like, no, Courtney. And someone she was way too young. Up. Yeah, she was way too young. That's the same year 13 came out. Like, oh, really? Thank God, she's not in this. You know, uh. Elsa is gross. And you're going to see in the trailer her fucking abusers in this movie. And he gets like high billing. And thank God he's really not even in it. Evan yeah. Rachel Wood's abuser? Yeah. yeah. They really just were doing it to be like, he's the hit thing right now. We got yeah. him in this movie. Mm. Thankfully, literally has one line. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're now going to watch a trailer for Party Monster, Kimmy. Okay. <laughs> so we just let Kimmy watch a trailer for Party Monster, but before she gives her <laughs> thoughts, I have two things I need to say real fast. Oh, number one, just to address the Chloe Savini uh, controversy. Um, <laughs> I have nothing against that woman. Um, she's a fine actress, and I don't hate her. I just have, like, several movies worth of evidence to fear her. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she scares the pants off me. She's a terrifying <laughs> woman. American Horror Story Season 2? That'll put you right off Chloe Savini. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if that wasn't her and it was like Laura Lanier's? <laughs> and it was Evan Rachel Wood. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, and also I just because I was like, now I have to backpedal and talk about that, I need to uh, make amends and atone for my sins for last week where I called um, the... Snowman from Jack Frost, Bruce Willis. Apparently, it's Michael Keaton. <laughs> so, oh. You know so. what? <laughs> Same energy. I'm sorry I do that so much. <laughs> it's twice now. Okay. It's probably more. But um, don't trust me when I say a celebrity is in something. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's probably why I was like, no, Courtney, it's not Glacier. <laughs> and I was like, don't talk to me about Evan Rachel Wood. I recognize that porcelain face anywhere. All right, Kimmy, go ahead. I don't know what I just watched. Oh, yeah. Well, that's how we felt after we watched the whole movie. So. Yeah, so. So I'm going to try here. Yeah. It's Seth Green and Macaulay Culkin. And <laughs> they are, like, teenagers? Or, like, maybe, like, early 20s? Early 20s? Young 20s? adults. Yeah. yeah. Young adults. And they want to move to Hollywood. 
New York. <laughs> Hollywood, New York. New York, New York. They want to For listeners, I gave Kibby a silent head shake. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the pointers. <laughs> they want to move to New York to, like, make it big in entertainment or something like that. Or, or I, I don't know. Yeah. But they get into the drag scene. They're into the drag scene. They start something called the club scene. So it's not drag. It's club kids. It's club kids. Yeah. I think I remember learning about that somewhere. Really? <laughs> yeah. Probably from My Favorite Murder. Probably, because maybe they did this one. I actually meant to, oh. go, I meant to go look and see if they did. Yeah, that's um, interesting. There are drag queens involved, but it's not like the drag scene. It's the club kid scene. It's the club kid scene. They just throw parties thing. dressed up as whatever the fuck they feel like. And isn't there a character named Angel in this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the My Favorite Murder episode. Well, he gets well, murdered. Well, he dies. So. <laughs> yeah. And there's drugs and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm. It's okay that I remember that because yeah. that was generally going to be like my guess. Like the first line of the movie. Yeah. So. Okay. The, they are in this club kids scene or whatever and it gets, there's drugs and relationships and underground kind of stuff gets kind of out of hand because there's like a lot of coke and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which results in, like, bad blood, and then there's a murder. But I also feel like there's this element of, like, fame mm. established in this film. like Almost like money, success, fame, <laughs> singing glamour. The song? There's yeah. a part where that's, like, their act, and they, like, strut to that song. That was yeah, the, money, that part. greed, sex nights. Sex <laughs> nights. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> the kind of, like... The kind of tone that I feel like the bling ring has where the entitlement... I want to rock. <laughs> that, like, the entitlement of the crime doers, like, is their high. That's you know? true. Yeah. That's the movie. Like, you got it. Okay. <laughs> um, who killed Angel? Which... Macaulay Culkin. Okay. I'm here for Macaulay Culkin dressing up in, like, high fashion club kids attire. I'm into it. So Seth Green is kind of like the straight man in this. Mm-hmm. He's not? Mm-hmm. No. There is no straight man. They are this. competing to be the not straight man. Yeah, they're competing to be the most extra person. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he didn't do the murder. No. But, like, they are two sides of the same coin kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. this is yourself and this is your shadow self. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. what you could become. Yeah. Is it? And you said it's based on this true story then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, that's what's going to happen. If, if Macaulay kills Angel, why, and how does he know him, and all that stuff? Well, I kind of know the real story. Do you? Then say Do it. Do you remember? I'm pretty sure Angel is somebody who came to the scene without any family or friends or any, like, he's kind of a loner mm. type or something, and he grows in this community as, like, somebody who's kind of, like, he deals drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's also where he finds, like, a supportive, like, he doesn't have anybody else. So, like, mm-hmm. this world where he deals drugs becomes his family, in, in for lack of a better term. It's sad, because, like, you can see it exactly going that way, and it's it's sad that he, like, loses his life in the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What silly, crazy, off-the-wall thing do you think could happen in this movie? Like, make some fun predictions about whatever the heck you want. Make some outfit predictions, too. Sure. Well, I saw some lashes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think, like, press and, like, media is going to be, like, a massive part of this thing. They go on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's Chloe up to? Maybe she's one of their girlfriends. Mm. I'm viewing like Macaulay Culkin's character as like this very like manipulative kind of like 
narcissistic kind of person in this world and that Seth Green's character is going to be like the victim of that like Mm. in supporting this character because they're friends but there's going to be a point where Seth Green's character isn't going to be able to support him anymore because there's fucking murder involved you know so I'm like wondering maybe is there some like maybe some like unrequited love maybe in this like not so mm. platonic relationship you're writing a better movie okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah these are the undertones that could have been but um no they're both pretty like they both have the same kind of flaws and the same level of like self-indulgence it just that's not how the story went so it has to divulge at some yeah. point yeah 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 i think that's a lot of good predictions yeah. okay. and most of them totally right <laughs> yeah it's more about the quotes to be honest yeah. with you. You're, you're here dialogue? for the quotes. Yeah. If you ever watch it, you're here for the outfits. Yeah. 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 There's a monster at this party. Uh, much of the first half of this film is meta, and it's told with acknowledgement of the crime, as well as the shockumentary, yes, it was called the shockumentary made in 1998, called Party Monster, yeah. colon, the shockumentary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the two leads are telling stories of what happened to them for the majority of the film, so there's flashbacks of their friendship. Pretty much any time we're saying something, it's in the past, but it's like, maybe it's two years in the past, or maybe it's like a couple months in the past. Yeah. So Party Monster opens on Seth Green, who is sitting poolside in an expensive-looking sweatsuit with sunglasses on, and he's a silly little boy who is, like, testing, testing to the microphone on this film set, and then he starts even, like, hamming it up by saying, testosterone, testicular cancer, test of the Dubervilles. <laughs> what the fuck? And the director just goes, Party Monster, take one. Yeah. <laughs> like, clicks a slate. Then, you saw it in the trailer, even, it's how the trailer opens, we see a hammer smashing a pair of high platform heels stomping and then somebody falling forward as if they just been hit in the head james who is played by seth green james says i think it's important to start with a bang and then poof we're somewhere else and he talks very it, dramatically it's like very yeah it's very over the top like the yeah. way that almost you would like mimic someone else where it's like oh i have to go to a party like how rich people have accents yes. like the funny kind um, so he's then talking to us about Michael's blood feast party. That was the theme. Blood the feast. ritzy. The ritzy kind of talking. Ritzy, it's kind ritzy. of a ritzy talking. It's also kind of just like, there's a lot to it. It's, it's very interesting. Like Seth Green is doing something new. We're in like a late 80s, early 90s underground club and there are all sorts of people in these like leather getups and James is in the bathroom. He's dressed in this chic head trauma patient outfit. <laughs> so his like brain is exposed Beautiful makeup, but he's, like, got his head wrapped around, and he's, like, also, you can't really see it yet, but he's wearing white, like, a hospital gown. That's so interesting. It's very interesting, and he's looking at himself in the mirror when Michael walks in, who is played by Macaulay, and he looks just as stylish and ridiculous in a similar outfit, and he's got, like, the same kind of head stuff going on, and James tells him, Michael, you've gone too far with the drugs. And Michael, like, takes a drag of a cigarette and is like, have you looked in the mirror lately? And then James narrates, saying that in this relationship, he was the younger, prettier one of the two, who (laughs) always thought that he would write the next great American novel until he became a side character in Michael's sick and twisted story. Michael does a lot of scoffing, and he also does these little laughs, like, throughout the entire story. He'll be like, ah. So there's a lot of that. And then James James talks, I feel like, in a much higher voice, but when he laughs, he goes, oh. Yeah. Also, his full name is James St. James. Yeah. James St. James. Yeah. James St. James. Michael has a scoffing situation, and it sounds like James has, like, a guffaw situation. Oh, yes. definitely, yeah. 
Yeah. I bet it said that in the script. Maybe. He guffaws. <laughs> yeah, he guffaws. <laughs> um, the camera pans out, and we see that James' whole ensemble has, like, these fake plastic boobs, and we can see through it, uh, see it through a nighty that has these, like, really big sleeves. And it's funny because, like, some of the fashion in this movie, while some of it I'm like, dang, like, you're really pulling that off, or, like, that's something I could never wear, but it's, like, fabulous. Some of it is, like, super scary and weird. Like, these weird plastic noses that go out really far, or, like, boils on your face. Lots of, like, spiders being glued to their face, too, like, little plastic ones. It's, like, sometimes they want to look ugly. Yeah. And I think, like, in, like, a fashion sense. Yeah, where I'm most on board is when they're at home in their loungewear, and I'm like, that's the sickest loungewear I've ever seen. Like, you're doing so much. That's so... I wonder what the history is about all of that. That's literally what it was. It was these kids wanting to... And there's a quote later about it, but... You want to look like that? Look like that. Just go out into the world. And it's very Gaga. Mm-hmm. Like Lady Gaga clearly took inspiration from the club kid scene. James invites us, the audience, to come with him on the night of his life, the night of his overdose. So now it's the flashback to what we're seeing for the movie. Uh, we're in an apartment. Michael's wearing PJs. I'm pretty sure they're onesies. If not, they're like matching top and bottom. So cute. He's making a tray of tea and scones and Coke. Like cocaine, not Coca-Cola. Just to clarify. <laughs> in the bedroom, he asks James if he notices anything different. And James is like, oh, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, notice anything missing? Like a drug dealer who used to hang around here? And James is like, Angel? And he goes, yes, I killed him. <gasps> and James kind of laughs because he's, you know, doesn't think that that's real. And he compliments the shoes Michael is wearing. And he says, they were angels. He was wearing them when I killed him. What the fuck? And James is like, oh, okay, so that stain on that shoe is blood. And he's like, meh. Like, yeah, no, it actually is. Then the coke that they've been snorting starts to kind of hit. And James passes out. And Michael laughs and he says something like, you silly little drug addict. Like, it's, n- it's nonchalant. It's another day in the life for them. We then cut to Michael describing his life. Like, this is now that James has passed out. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to take over, right? Because the, the movie kind of opened with James. And so now it's like, now it's my turn. And it turns into, like, this 1950s sitcom looking thing. And it's all upbeat. And this is, like, that little clip you see where he's kind of in the train station looking over the edge um, at the people below. And he says, hi, I'm Michael. So he's, like, talking about his life growing up and how um, he felt different in the Midwest. He was like, I didn't fit in with anybody that was out there. And we see that kids were, like, bullying him and spitting on him and stuff. But he's like, I did well for myself because I started selling candy. Like, he was buying it for really cheap and selling it at, like, a way higher price. And then we see his mother... And she's holding a photo of him when he was younger and, like, talking about how proud she is of him. She's, like, showing some more photos of him, and he's wearing a little I Heart NY shirt. And that's when we see that he moved to New York. Like, he was always wanting to get out of the Midwest. Now he moved to New York. And Michael talks about how he didn't want to be a boring, normal person, and he makes a cup of tea next to James while James is passed out and says that he wants to create his own world where the party never ends. And James wakes up enough to complain to the camera that Michael is like hogging the story and he's like no 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 I was the original club kid I was here before Michael came to New York this story is about me and the narration switches back to James 
Uh, James arrives in a cab to a party dressed up as a dead bride, like in Mean Girls, kind of. Oh, yeah. And he poses for these photos outside of the venue, and he's giving us advice through narration about how you gotta make it in the club scene. You have to have a crazy outfit that'll always look good in black and white, and there's, like, cameras taking photos of him, and then we see them in print. And so, yeah, like, in black and white, the white dress with the red blood, it looks, like, really good. And his other piece of advice is to be wary of annoying little busboys. And in the mirror of a club bathroom, James is, like, fixing his bride makeup. And behind him is Michael just, like, sweeping. And so this is their first time meeting. The next scene is of Michael and James meeting in a donut shop. Michael has asked him to meet him there because he wants advice. And so he's there early, even before James. And when James shows up, he pulls out this little lunchbox and inside is Coke. And he, like, pours some on his his hand to snort it, and he offers some to Michael, and Michael says, oh, I don't do drugs. And James says, neither do I, as he snorts it. (laughs) And Michael says to him, I want you to teach me to be fabulous. And James gets up to leave, and he says, we have nothing in common. And Michael, like, stops him by grabbing his hands, and he goes, look, we both bite our nails. Please, I just got off the bus. (laughs) I sound like Samantha. (laughs) Please. (laughs) I haven't even seen that in the show. Um, James dismissively gives him a piece of advice, and he says, don't dream it, be it. And Michael says, Rocky Horror, I love Rocky Horror, and I love this photo of you in Slate, please sign my copy, and pulls out a magazine. So James is like, alright, I'm flattered. Mm -hmm. And he sits back down. Hours pass as we see, like, a clock spinning over their conversation, as James is telling young Michael everything he knows. He tells him where to stand in photos, and it's really funny because he says, always stand on the right, so that when they take a photo of you and they put it in the paper, it will always say... James St. James left, and then it will list the other people. Like, your name will appear first in print, which is funny. It's clever. Yeah, because it's like you have to say who it is left to right, and so you want to be the first person's name. Yeah. Um, He tells him to never dish someone in the press, always drink champagne, never use heroin, or wear white after Labor Day. (laughs) And as they're flipping through the magazine, he says, and avoid him like the plague. And he points to a picture of Dylan McDermott, who has an eye patch. Yeah, I saw that in Then Michael says, more, more. (laughs) Because he thinks James is done teaching him. So James decides that he's going to teach him how to walk a room. And so he's like, get up. And the two of them, like, prance around the little donut shop as he's, like, acting as if they're at a big party. They go and they schmooze everyone. And he's like, now you walk that way and I walk this way. We pretend to find each other. And then we bump into each other and we yell. And we're like, oh, I found him. Yay. And then we leave the party. (laughs) And there's, like, two people in the donut shop and they're into it. (laughs) Yeah. Before he leaves, James tells Michael that he needs to learn to walk before he can run. But in the narration, he says, but that's all Michael ever did. Run, run, run. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Michael then hosts his first party, and James arrives dressed as a sexy, raggedy Andy. Um, he's the only Whoa! one... Whoa! <laughs> I fucking had one of those! Raggedy Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's the only one there, though, so he's, like, not pleased. He's all dressed up, and he's the only one there. And it appears that Michael didn't do a good job at, like, drawing in a crowd for the party. And the only other person there is Christina, who's a performer... And she's played by you-know-who. Boo. Yeah. Um, so it, it's him, and I, like, you know, nobody looks like, but he's also all, like, drag and makeup and all this stuff. And it was a couple scenes later that I was like, oh, fuck, that's been him this whole time. Glad he hasn't said anything. <laughs> and Michael assures James that he'll make the party great. Like, don't worry, I'm going to be the next Andy Warhol. And James is like, Andy Warhol isn't even dead, and this party sucks. And he starts to leave. 
Um, Michael then meets the owner of the club, which is Dylan McDermott, whose name is... Peter. Peter. And he's like, your club is tired, but I can make it fabulous. And Dylan gives him an envelope of money and says, here, you can throw my next event. And Michael says, you'll love me. I promise. He kind of like sometimes talks to Peter like a little boy. It's very like kind of a father-son thing starting to build here. On the street the next day, Michael buys a newspaper, and the headline reads, Andy Warhol, dead at 58. That's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's like a bad joke. Yeah, not to, not to laugh. <laughs> um, he then passes out flyers to every person he sees. He's got like a little bit of pep in his step, because he's like, Andy's dead. It's um, my time. And he's inviting them to his party. He literally goes at her, and he's like, come to my party, come to my party, until he comes up to somebody, and it's Wilmer Valderrama. Fez from That 70s Show. Oh. And he's, he's like, a cutie. young, cute, cute baby. And Michael gives him a flyer and is like, come to my party. You can meet my boyfriend. <laughs> and Wilmer says, oh, no, I'm not gay. I actually just came here with some girls. And Michael stares at him <laughs> long enough to turn him gay. <laughs> like, he's just staring at him. <laughs> and, like, Wilmer then follows him around. <laughs> It's pretty funny. So if you ever ask someone out and they're like, no, I'm busy or something, just fucking stare at them. And yeah, he's like pretty entranced by him. Yeah. I mean, I'm entranced by Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Um, And in the bathroom, they, they come up to James, who's wearing like a big pink wig, pink tights, gloves, sunglasses. He's in like this all pink thing. And Michael asks James if he's going to come to his party. And James says he'd rather suck on a urinal cake. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Michael then introduces Wilmer and he says, this is Kiyoki. We'll see you at our party. <laughs> and he hands him a flyer. And James looks at the flyer and then he yells after Michael. And he's like, it says I'm the MC." But Michael and Kiyoki are long gone. <laughs> the boys get a taxi. And Michael asks Kiyoki what he does, and he says he's a baggage handler at JFK, and Michael goes, no, from now on you're a DJ. (laughs) When they get out of the cab, they don't pay for it, and they instead run away and jump into a dumpster so that they don't get found by the driver. And when they're in the dumpster, they find a little kitty, a little orange kitty, and Michael goes, oh, it's our love child. We'll call him Scrinkle. And then there's, like, a narration at this part. Oh, you have it down there. Okay. I have the whole wow. thing, yeah. Um, That'd be, like, a really, like, intense pop culture reference if, like... Scrinkle? You named your cat Scrinkle. Oh, get ready. Get ready for this <laughs> next part. <laughs> and for many parts to come. Yeah. Then, in a voiceover, James says, As you dry your eyes, let me just say this about that. Scrinkle was just the beginning. Scrinkle begat Scrottle, and Scrinkle and Scrottle were the Lego blocks of a strange new world he was building for us all. You were either a Scrink or a Scrod. I was a Scrinkle a die. If I was a I was a scrinkledaw if I was good, or I was a stupid scrod lover if I was bad. Somehow this dopey language caught on like a stupid party. So people are about to call each other scrink and scrod, depending on if you're good or bad. And that's why he names his cat Scrinkle. Because it's a good cat. I'm like sweating. Okay. At Michael's first king and queen of downtown party, Kiyoki wins king and Christina wins queen. Michael only gave it to her, though, so he could dump slime on her like it's a Kids' Choice Awards. (laughs) This wins over James, who's like, fuck yeah, I like humiliating people, I guess. And then he finally comes to Michael's house for dinner. This is like kind of a little Christmas dinner. And Michael has turned a reindeer sweater into a crop top and is wearing like these tiny little shorts. We see so much Macaulay butt. 
And James's outfit is like this golden pink sequin leotard with a matching robe and a headband. And Michael tells Kiyoki and James that he's invited a surprise guest. So the doorbell buzzes and James opens the door to this huge grandfather clock that's being brought in by these two guys and he laughs. Then Dylan McDermott comes in, whose name, like we said, is Peter, and he says, Merry Christmas! And Michael hugs him and, like, pops his foot up all romantically. So the clock is a gift from him, right? Mm -hmm. From Peter. So this big old clock is a gift from Peter and he's the surprise guest. And it also seems very implied that Michael and Kiyoki are, like, boyfriends now, if not living together. Michael is bossy at the dinner trying to impress Peter, and he's telling, Kiyoki, you go put on music, and James, you go get the champagne. And then he starts to chat up Peter about what he's going to do for his clubs. While that's going on, Kiyoki and James go into the bathroom to do some coke. And Michael walks in on James, giving Kiyoki some advice, but also kind of hitting on him. And Michael sasses him and calls them drug addict losers, because he doesn't do drugs. And James retorts that Michael... He doesn't champ- do drugs? He at this point, drugs. he actually no. does not do drugs. Yeah. And so James retorts and says, well, Michael, your champagne tastes like piss. And Michael storms out and tells Peter that Disco 2000 will be the party of all parties. We'll have someone in a cage at the front door that says, don't feed the drug child. (laughs) And if you're lost, yeah, so are we. Michael is mad at James and Kiyoki right now. And as he's telling Peter more of his plans... He pulls out his meaner and he pees into one of the champagne Don't flutes. say meaner, man. <laughs> Don't say meaner, man. <laughs> and Peter's like, what the heck is going on? But then the other two boys come out. They all take their glasses no. and Michael does a little toast and they start sipping and James is forced to drink the pee. He doesn't want to retaliate. He doesn't want Michael to know he got the best of him. So James is like holding the pee in his mouth and then he swallows it. You can drink pee. Okay. Do you watch? (laughs) (laughs) And especially, like, the fact that you're gonna even just tell based on, like, temperature that that's not, that's not right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Through narration, James describes how Michael's parties really did end up taking off. There's fun club music and a news reporter doing a story on these club kids. And James is outside of the party in a cardboard cage that doesn't indeed say don't feed the drug child. And he's like, meh. And Michael is wearing some long glitter eyelashes. Yeah. And also on the news in this segment, super fucked up, is Michael's mom. She's on ecstasy and she loves it. What? Yeah. Yeah. She was like in on the scene. A guy watches this on TV and he loves it. The next party that the club kids are going to have is in the back of a moving big rig truck. So there's like, the scene is so chaotic. It's like tons of these club kids piling into the back of, like, what is... Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, like, it's fucking huge. It's a huge truck yeah. that no one knows how to drive, and Christina's trying to drive it, and all these kids are, like, getting in the back, but they also need someone to close the doors for them. And so we see that the guy who was watching on the TV is Angel. He shows up in regular-ass clothes, and he's essentially like, I want to be a club kid. And he, like, wants to come into this fucking truck party. And they're like... Well, we need someone to close the truck for us, so, like, close it behind us, and then I promise you can come to the next one. And he does that, but, like, as he's doing it, it's also, like, there's no fucking light in there, and I'm like, that looks so scary, and everyone would just be, like, bumping into each other. But Christina also can't fucking drive this thing and keeps, like, hitting the little, like, they're in a parking lot, so she keeps hitting, like, I guess technically the curb. She also does LSD right before starting the car. Yeah, and has these huge fucking platforms, so, like, it's just, it's just all bad. And so, anyway, yeah, so Angel 
closes the doors. And they're all like, yay! But the truck doesn't even, like, get out of the parking lot before the police come and stop them. And it's like, everyone get the fuck out of this truck. Yeah. So, yeah, everything's fine, but no party in the truck for them. The next party that we see is Michael's birthday. And he's wearing a long-sleeved striped romper that starts under his nipples. So it's almost like pushing up his nipples. And it barely goes past... I want one! Yeah. You want one? I want one of those. It's so fucking cute. And I want one of the skirt shirt onesies that was in Boogie Nights. From Boogie Nights. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it barely goes past his butt, and he has, like, a Renaissance collar on. It is it is definitely a look. We should all get one. Comic-Con? Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. They will kick us out. <laughs> Kiyoki shows up to the party, and Michael's, like, kind of pissed at him. And he's like, you're a drug addict. And I don't want you here. And he starts searching his pockets for Coke. And he does find Coke. And he's like, I told you I don't want that. Like, get the fuck out of my house. And Kyoki even has, like, a cake in his hands that he drops because of this interaction. Kyoki returns home later, like, after the party's over. And it's all, like, dark and moody. And obviously Michael is sad about the interaction with Kyoki, But he's mad at him. And he kind of has the cocaine with him because he took it from Kyoki. And he's letting Scrinkle lick it off of his finger. That's not allowed. No, no it's not, not allowed. good. Like, he doesn't even do drugs, and he's feeding it to his cat. And he tells Kyoki, I figured if you love drugs so much, I should see what all the fuss is about. So it looks like he has also been taking the drugs. And Kyoki says, great, so now we have two drug addicts in the family. And he goes, and Scrinkle makes three. <laughs> and then he says, I want more. And Kyoki's like, more? And he says, yes, more as in more, you moron. And... <laughs> <laughs> and he's like yelling he's very very mad and Kiyoki storms out because of this behavior but he feels like you know you started it you're the one who brought the coke in here and he yells if you leave I'm gonna kill myself but Kiyoki's like already gone and barely even heard that the next day dramatically totally clips of the heart is playing uh. <laughs> as Michael lays on the floor surrounded by a bunch of pills probably mm. Advil <laughs> Advil? <Yeah. laughs> And James walks in, and, like, he's lying dead on the floor, and James is like, oh, these suicide attempts have to stop. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and and Michael's fine. He is crying, but, like, he smiles, and he's, like, alive and awake on the ground, and he says, all I want is love. And James says to him, there isn't enough love in the world to satisfy you. And he offers to make him a cup of hot chocolate. The devil's beverage! <laughs> <laughs> Courtney doesn't like hot chocolate. And Michael says, can you put some ecstasy in mine? Oh my god! <laughs> and James is surprised. I was like, since when are you into drugs? And Michael's like, it's not a drug, it's medication. And so they sip their hot chocolate next to this porcelain dog statue wearing devil ears, and then they get fudged up uh-huh. on the drugs and the chocolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at night, Michael asks James what's for dinner, and James says, I finished the most marvelous sentence today. I've been working on it for almost two weeks. And the sentence that he came up with is, Last night, I dreamt of Glockamora. Again. Michael is not amused with this sentence, but James says, It's a shame you can't publish a sentence. James returns from the kitchen with what looks like a totally empty glass pan. It's fresh from the oven. So we're like, what the heck is going on here? But we see that someone else is in the apartment. This is their friend, Freeze. And he's passed out on the coffee table wearing leather pants. James then takes this hot-ass fucking like pyrex and puts it directly on his ass and he says lightly toasted animal tranquilizer 
And it looks like they're doing, I believe it's ketamine this time. And, uh, yeah, so they're, like, doing this, but they, they heated it up in the oven, so they're, like, doing it off this guy's ass as he's probably passed out from drugs. Yeah, and later even, like, Freeze gets up and is like, my ass! And they're like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> But it does, it does come back. Michael seems down because Kiyoki hasn't called him in ages, and James is like, well, I guess we need another new superstar. Michael created Christina, and now Kiyoki's, like, kind of a big DJ, so James says he needs to create the next superstar drug dealer. The phone then rings, and Michael leaves the room to answer, but it's not Kiyoki, and so he's sad. And James joins him on the bed, and they're just kind of, like, laying down, and Michael says, it's the police. They just told him Christina is dead, which in context of the story is very sad, but for us, we were like... Bye, dude. <laughs> yeah, rip to real Christina, yeah. but I'm happy movie Christina's dead. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. Literally, like, one line. Yeah. And uh, it crashed the truck. James is sympathetic, but Michael seems kind of unbothered and says, the best superstar is a dead superstar. They get dressed up for the night, and they go to a chicken restaurant. Michael's in, like, a yellow feather leotard, and this is the one where he has those big eyelashes from the trailer. Mm-hmm. They're, like, feathers. The little sticking wow. out on the sides. And James is in a steak costume, which this is where... A steak? Like, he's a big steak. (laughs) And this is where Courtney was like, Gaga owes a lot, you know? Yeah, Gaga wore that meat dress. Yeah, that's true. It's just like that. Yeah. And many more club kids are pouring into this chicken shop. And they order, like, the most fucking food, too. And the guy's like, you want this all right now? And they're like, yeah. So they've just, like, flooded this fucking little fast food place. And Angel arrives, but this time he is in a fabulous outfit. He's got a white suit with these full-ass big angel wings. And he's, like, finally at one of the parties as one of the club kids. Mm -hmm. And he sees Michael, and he's like, hey, I got my wings. And Michael says, then fly away. The police are coming. (laughs) And they all leave. And it's like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure in the kitchen they're still preparing all their fucking sandwiches and stuff. On a daytime talk show, it's called Geraldo. It's funny because when we put the trailer in for you, it started up right after. That was Mm -hmm. the show. John Stamos is speaking to a live studio audience. Really? Yeah, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, meet America's future, the Club Kids. And then CoverGirl plays as Michael, James, and others step out onto the stage in these various get-ups and costumes. Michael is a slutty Frankenstein's monster football player. (laughs) James is a troll. And Angel is a sexy silver angel. And right away, in the interview, Michael is mean and poking fun at Angel, outing him as a drug dealer and saying he looks ridiculous as the audience laughs. And at home, Chloe Savini watches and she loves it! Oh yeah. She's having the time of her life. During a commercial break for the show, the attention turns to Michael's recent time in jail. And he says, Angel bailed me out. And he's like sucking on a lollipop and his mom is there and she's shocked because she's hearing this for the first time. But James is most shocked by this. And he didn't even know Michael was ever in jail. And Michael says, well, actually, you were in jail. I told them I was you. So now James has this police record he didn't know about. And Michael says when he got there, he told them that he had AIDS and that he needed his own cell. And they gave him a VCR and ice cream. And so really, he's just turning into like a monster. A party monster. A party party monster. monster. James is dressed in this like green troll (laughs) costume. He's all green, big hair huge nose and he even gave himself a third eye that also has these big eyelashes like the other ones (laughs) he's got these huge pink lips and michael's just sucking on this lollipop like a baby and it cuts to james like staring at him in this ridiculous look it's very funny but 
James is pissed and he tells Michael that he really, truly hates him. And so some fun facts now. Um, I watched like two and a half versions of the real talk show. They had him on multiple times. The real yeah. person. They, they had Michael on um, and they are just doing like these big panels with all these different club kids. And the first one I watched, freaking RuPaul was one of the club kids. Yeah, that exact same experience happened to me. Yeah, wow. it was really cool. And he's just, he had like a lot to say, but it was like, you're RuPaul. That's... This is, like, you at your beginning yeah. stages. Yeah. And it's interesting because as we're watching Party Monster, it feels like the show is, like, the Michael show. But really, he was not the focus of it ever. There was some, like, transphobia in the interviews from the the time and the, the yeah. talk show host. But most of all, it was, like, this positive, upbeat look at these kids celebrating life during the AIDS epidemic. And then I watched a follow-up show that took place four years later in 1994... And this is really funny because Michael is, like, the second panelist, and the first panelist is sitting next to him. His club kid name is Richie Rich. Yeah, I And he looks like Macaulay Culkin. You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. The last funny thing that I saw is they talked to Michael about some of his upcoming parties, and he says, well, we're having a Wayne Bobbitt party. And that's the man whose wife, Lorraine Bobbitt, chopped off his penis. Oh. And he's like, we'll be serving hot dogs. That's oh so funny. That was in a real interview? It was in a real interview. Wow. And then he goes, and we'll also be having a party called Party Harding. And the guy's like, what's that? And he's like, it's a Tonya Harding party. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, what's the theme for that? And he goes, it's a club party. <laughs> Get it? Club. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I was like, wow, this was I'm such so, a time. Like, this is just creative. No, it's <laughs> really given. creative. Um, and, like, what's the point, like, purpose of these people to party? Yeah. Okay, so they're partying and they're, like, expressing themselves and it's, like, art and whatnot. But it's, like, clearly at this time there were definitely, like, club promoters and businessmen who were, like, living off of that. And so yeah. it's, like, all these kids would come and party and it's, like, they were getting rich. And so it's nice that there was, like some club kids involved in kind of like the financial aspect of it. And when the show returns, Geraldo asks his guests, what exactly is a club kid? And James says the point. He says, it's all about self-expression. If you feel like a troll, then dress like a troll. And it doesn't matter what you look like. If you got a hunchback, throw some glitter on it. And I, I would hope that's a real quote. I don't know, though. Yeah. Uh, the audience loves this. And Michael kind of doesn't like the attention being stolen from him, so he very meanly joins in and he says, Yes, James really is a troll. Troll Saint Troll. He's the original drug child, and look at the troll. It's taken a toll. And it's you gotta mean. pay the toll, troll. <laughs> <laughs> and James is pissed because Michael then tells everyone, And he's 30! <laughs> and James is like, I am 21! Oh my god. I actually don't know how old he is, yeah. but he's pissed. It seems like it's true, though. Like, it's it's getting to the point now where we've seen so much of their little bickering, but in a way where they both seem still so upbeat and kind of, like, whimsical. And this is, like, he's taking shots at it's James. It's crossing a line. Yeah. yeah. The show ends with Geraldo stating that next week the club kids will be in Dallas on a nationwide talent search. Watching in New York, Peter's wife is pissed because she thinks that the club kids will cause the feds to shut down their club. Peter and Michael meet, and they discuss how Peter has funded all of his parties, his magazine, everything, and that his drug usage is becoming too indiscriminate. He shows Michael surveillance footage of these two feds parked outside the club. So it's like they're actually watching the club now because yeah. of all the drugs that are going in and out of the club. But he writes Michael a check, and he's still continuing to fund the nationwide search for other club kids. So it's like something that's kind of looming now. But yeah, they're still doing it. 
A flyer for Dallas flashes on the screen, and in the back of a club, a dreadlock Natasha Leone is crushing pills and telling Michael and James how excited she is to meet them. And she also is just, like, she's a character. She's got, like, purple in her dreads, like, these big old glasses. She barely looks like Natasha Leone. She says, wait until you try my drug salad. And Michael <laughs> tells her, her name is Brooke, that she should really move to New York. And then we see Chloe standing in the doorway, and she and Brooke introduce themselves. Her name is Gitsy. So Chloe's name is Gitsy. Mm-hmm. Michael's like, that's a great name. And she just goes and sits right on his lap. She's, like, making herself at home, which I feel like if you really want to be part of this scene, you got to be, like, bold. Yeah. Um, Michael says, you're my new girlfriend, and tells the girls to move in with them. Both of them, Brooke and Gitsy. And James is pissed. A man then walks into the green room and tells them all, five minutes to showtime, and it's Damien from Mean Girls. Oh my god. They're all stunned because they definitely don't have a show, and so they don't know what he's talking about, but he's like, nope, you guys are on, go out and perform. He says, ladies and gentlemen, Manhattan's only club kids. Halfway point. Well, I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) What's gonna happen with Chloe? What's gonna happen with the Fez? What's gonna happen with the friendship? Yeah. I think that Chloe Gitsy, mm-hmm. Gitsy's character is going to exacerbate the Coke situation. Ah. Like, she's going to be, like, in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie and the Elton John movie where it's, like... They have, like, the toxic they friend. The toxic mm-hmm. friend who's like, you gotta you got do more Coke, you gotta mm-hmm. do more, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Until they, like, finally realize that they've been, like, pressured this whole time. Mm-hmm. That's Chloe Zavini's character. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was your other question? Friendship, feds. what's going to happen with it, and feds. Oh, well, I think that their relationship, their friendship is not going to last, obviously. James and Michael? Yeah, like, I think it's going to come to a tragic end. They're never going to speak again, or something mm. like that. Like, it's too, it's too chaotic and tumultuous to be like, you know what, we should really throw in the towel on this. I think I remember, like, the feds getting, like, situated with... Angel or someone and, like, having somebody wear a wire or something like that. Mm. Then there's the murder or something like that. Or they're going to shut them down. Oh, they're going to shut them down and they're going to think that it was Angel who narked on them or something like that. I see. Uh, how do you think that the murder goes down? My desire is, is that it happens, like, in a really, like, blunt way. This whole movie has been very, like, fever dreamish, wacky nightmare mm-hmm. kind of thing. It would be really cool if there's, like, this moment of, like, brutal monotony of, like, murder, Mm. you know? That's not what you're going to get. I know, I know. (laughs) But, like, I just think that would be, like, really grounding and Mm. very, and that's, that's what I would like. Like I said, you're writing a better movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, wouldn't that be, like, so, like, harsh, you know? I don't know. Mm. I I like that contradiction. Like, to not be some kind of other glorified thing. Yeah, like, it's like, there's not music, whatever, and, like, maybe they're not even dressed up, and I don't know if, I don't know if it's, like, a gunshot or a, like, a blunt force trauma or something, but, like, that's it, you know? Mm. It's like when you're watching something like Summer of 84, where suddenly there are consequences, and it's like, oh, shit, that can happen? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) There's very, there's, like, this element of, like, irresponsibility and, like, so shocking to me. Like, I'm not, like, not feeling any consequences for anything. And that's, like, why it's, like, not really a big deal to have these people that you've just met become your roommates because it's, like, more people. It's new and different and fresh. And totally. then I can just, like, reignite some kind of excitement in my life right now. Those are good predictions. Yeah. There's not much left. Okay. 
So, um, Damien from Mean Girls is out on the stage and, like I said, introduces the club kids to perform. But they don't really know what they're doing, so they're, like, making this shit up on the fly. Michael is dressed in just the fucking... It's, like, one of my favorite outfits from the movie. It's, like, sexy lederhosen. What's... Oh, okay. Um, German children's yeah, yeah, overalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's also, like, a little <laughs> Hitler mustache. Oh, yay. Um, and you upset he... the Jew. <laughs> I did. She I did. <laughs> oh, yesterday. Um, and he has a little megaphone, and he's kind of leading it. And it's almost like spoken word in a way. It's more just like pumping up the crowd. He's just like saying things to them, but then it does like turn into a song with a beat, and they're all just going, money, success, fame, glamour. And it's like a bop, and they're all just kind of <laughs> posing on every word, and he's like saying just broad strokes things, like we're young, and we're alive, and we're in New York City, and like in that kind of a voice. Yeah. Not even the voice he normally talks in, it's more like, uh, I don't know, waxing poetic. And yeah. Really big. I wonder what genre of music that is. Like, when we were just watching the trailer with you, and I heard it again, I'm like, that fucking slaps, honestly. <laughs> um, Gitsy and Michael are in Peter's office, um, he's talking about the party that he wants to throw, and this is one of the, I think it's even on Letterboxd, it's one of the posters that is, like, out there on the internet for the movie Party Monster, uh-huh. and it's, like, both of them kind of dead on the floor, both Gitsy and Michael. Peter's like, no, we can't do that. It's, like, this really graphic poster of the two of them, and Michael goes, oh, but it's my birthday, and I want to have a blood feast, because his birthday is themed, like, Michael's blood feast, <laughs> and they're both dead on the poster for the birthday. Oh and she's also has, like, space buns for most of the movie and in this scene she's just sucking on a lollipop which they do all the time and peter's even like does she talk and she goes not unless he wants me to we then get to an event at michael's house in which everyone is just getting super high and angel's like walking around observing everybody and he asks michael for the money he owes him so we're starting to get some vibes that michael keeps doing drugs and not paying for them Peter is also at this party, and this is kind of the first time we see Peter a little bit unhinged as well. He's sitting on a toilet, and I'm pretty sure he's, like, not even clothed, and he's kind of yelling out to no one. This is, like, maybe the most high we've seen people so far. And Michael and Gitsy are in this little tent. It's kind of, like, romanticized in a way, but it starts to turn dark. So, like, they're both in there and just being kind of really lovey and sitting close together. But then they start, like, sweating really bad, and Michael falls into her lap, and she freaks the fuck out because he has OD'd. <gasps> they wake up in the hospital, and Michael's okay. He's actually, like, happy in the hospital with his little lollipop, and he's, like, bopping. <laughs> and Gitsy's laying on his lap, and James brings him a fruit basket. And the situation that inspires Michael to throw a hospital-themed party where they're going to give out free prescription drugs. And he also <laughs> asks James if he can have a bump of ketamine. And James says he's trying to get his act together, and he refuses. Michael then leaves the hospital, despite still being hooked up to a bunch of IVs, and Angel shows up after they leave, and he's looking for Michael again. Mm-hmm. Now we're at the hospital doctor-themed party, <laughs> like we saw at the beginning with the head trauma and stuff. Mm-hmm. Michael and Gitsy's full asses are out in their outfits. Both of them just decided to go bare buns. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They get called into Peter's office, though, by Peter's wife, and she gives Michael a severance check and says this is the last party that they'll ever throw. She says Peter can never be Michael's father, and he needs to disconnect himself from him. And Michael says Peter will always love him more than her, and he's so fabulous! And she says all that she sees when she looks at him is a scared little boy. Honestly, like, mm-hmm. during our predictions, I was like, sometimes this stuff gets, like, so wild 
But it just makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of, like, although he never lets anything show, that, like, cuts him that mm-hmm. she says that. Because when usually when he says things, like, I'm so fabulous, people just kind of take it. Mm-hmm. But she's not taking it. Do we know who she is played by? No, she's cute. Yeah, I like her. Michael then goes to Kiyoki, who is now a super successful DJ. <laughs> yeah. And I Googled him, and it was really funny because, yeah, he is a real DJ. His name mm-hmm. is DJ Superstar Kiyoki. Love yeah. it. <laughs> or Superstar DJ Kiyoki. And then I learned what his real name was. His real name, George Lopez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing. I saw that in your notes. That really made me laugh. That's wild. Michael asks Kiyoki to come back home, but Kiyoki says, I have gigs all over the world now. I can't come stay with you, Michael. And when he turns around to look at his soundboard, he turns back to talk to Michael, but Michael's already gone. Michael's at home with Freeze, one of their roommates. They're both high and sitting on the couch, and Freeze says, I dropped one of my rocks, and it's like a rock of cocaine. He doesn't know where it is, it's gotta be on the floor somewhere. And so they decide to frantically look on the floor for it. And they end up tearing apart, like, all of the house in the living room till they get to the radiator. And it's just so stupid, because Freeze is like, it got behind the radiator. And they're just so high. And so Freeze tries to reach around it, and he gets bitten by a rat. <gasps> and Angel, <laughs> Angel then shows up, and Michael is like, we did all your drugs, and we need some more! And Angel says, you can't have more drugs until you pay. And then they get into a fight about how Michael is the one who made Angel who he is, and he would be miserable without him. He says, Angel, you owe me. And he punctuates the sentence by saying, you don't know your scrink from your scrog, you stupid logger blogger. <laughs> I'm going to say that to people now. I forget what, like, I think we paused it and you said something almost exactly like that. You're like, what if I just said that to you tomorrow? What would you do? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Say it with, like, complete deadpan. Yeah. <laughs> it was really hurtful what he said. <laughs> I'm going to say that to my kids tomorrow and see what the fuck they think about that. Yeah, stupid lager blogger. No, no, you're a scream from your scrub. <laughs> that makes me think, too, that, like, Angel tried to use the lingo one day and was like, hey, oh. scrub, and he's like, it's Don't scream. call me that again. <laughs> Anyways, he says he has no hard feelings, though, and he leans in for a hug, and then he bites Angel. <laughs> Super hard on the neck. And so yeah. Angel smashes Michael's TV onto the floor and he leaves. And James has to show up to the end of this shit show. And he's like witnessing the chaos. And he decides, you know, I don't, I don't want to be involved in this drama. Like these guys got so high and they're like ripping apart the wall to get biting to like people. a rock of cocaine. They're biting their drug dealers. They know they're screwing from their scrods, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Um, some days later, Michael calls Peter, but Peter doesn't answer. We see, it's kind of like a montage showing the demise of Michael, like all the things that he cared about in this world are kind of slipping away. Yeah. We see that he's constantly sleeping in. He's also like wandering the city alone, which there is kind of like this funny shot where he's wearing the tallest fucking platforms you ever saw and the tiniest little shorts, but it's also like a depressive little montage. So it's just kind of, you know, a funny juxtaposition. He even sees James in the donut shop, but he doesn't want to go in and say anything because they're, like, not talking. The montage is ended by Kiyoki waking Michael up from, like, a drugged-up sleep because he still cares about him. And he's like, Michael, I need to take you to rehab. Like, come on. And Michael kind of looks like he's going to agree, but he can't really get up. Kiyoki pulls back the covers to get Michael out of bed, and he goes, like, very sincerely, he goes, Oh, Michael, your cat is dead. (gasps) Thankfully, they don't really show it. They do, but it's, like, kind of out of focus. 
but Michael looks over and his cat's body is just next to him in the bed. And they don't say how the cat died, but we're thinking from an earlier shot that we saw, either the cat starved to death because he wasn't feeding the cat. He was so skinny. Or the cat ate that rock that they were missing. Mm -hmm. And so either way, he was, you know, not taking care of this cat. Probably forgot he had a cat altogether because of being on so many drugs. And he just sobs in the bed next to the cat. It's horrible. Later, like it might be that same day, it might be a couple days later, I don't know. But Michael is looking at pictures of Sprinkle, and he's, like, lovingly looking at them on the floor of the apartment. And then, again, Angel approaches him and is like, I need the money. It kind of started to feel a little bit like, where's my money, Denny? It's a lot like that. Yeah, yeah they right. do it a lot. <laughs> what drugs did you take? I didn't take yeah. any! <laughs> All of them. All of them. <laughs> um... <laughs> And Michael gets really angry, I think just because of, like, the the everything that he's feeling yeah. and the fact that he just lost his cat and all this stuff, and he shatters something on the floor. And the scene then cuts to Michael and James in the bed from the beginning of the movie, like, way back when they started telling the story. But he's telling James how that's when he killed Angel. He says, Angel broke my favorite teapot, so I smashed him over the head. And as he tells this story, James begins to pass out and literally OD in the bed, which we also kind of saw earlier in the movie. And Michael goes, God damn it, why is everyone gonna die on me? And he's not like sad, he's like mad because he was in the middle of a story. James wakes up in a similar hospital bed as the one that we saw Michael in when he OD'd. And he congratulates Michael on the wild story from the night before. He's like, I know you can never kill anyone. And Michael's like, would I lie to you? And James says, yes, all the time. And Michael's like, no, I'm not lying. Like, do you want to know how I got rid of the body? And James still doesn't believe him, so he kind of plays along and asks how. We see Michael, Freeze, and Brooke. They're at Michael's place days after the murder. And he says it starts to smell bad in the house. And Michael, in this flashback, tells Freeze that they need to get rid of the body. And Freeze says he doesn't want to deal with it. But Michael devises a plan. They're going to stuff Angel into the large TV box and dispose of him later. He says, after a few days, the bones were just so easy to snap and the flesh was just kind of flopping right off the bone. And so they ended up leaving the TV box in the middle of the living room for days before they put it into the river to have it float away. He says it's not that big of a deal. He was totally dead when they did all this stuff to his body. And once the flashback is over, James tells Michael to turn himself in. Gitsy shows up and says that she and Michael are going to rehab to start over and live the lives they deserve. And James doesn't like these two together and he tries to get Michael to stay at the hospital longer, but Michael says he can't. It's a little bit later, Michael's like back at his apartment and he's sitting on the toilet naked trying to pee while Gitsy is taking a bath. And so they're like in the same room and they're just chatting and he says he can't, he can't pee. And so she's like, well, come into the bath with me. And I just wrote a little note here, like, she looks really cute in this movie. I get that she's, like, scary, and also their characters are so problematic, but she's, like, such a little baby, and her hair is in these cute little space buns, and she just, like, looks really pretty and wears really cute outfits, and I think she does a good job as, like, his um, codependent partner in this Mm -hmm. movie. Uh, Michael says he loves her, and she can never leave him. And then he all of a sudden goes, hey, I'm able to pee again. So he's, like, peeing in the bath, and she goes, ha, me too. And then they proceed to take mouthfuls of the fucking pee bath water and spit it onto each other and laugh. Do you see why I don't like Chloe Sabini? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, think it's so funny. And we're like, you just peed in there. <laughs> um, and then there's like a pretty cool shot where it's like of them talking in the bath and the camera is on Gitsy, but we still see the mirror so we can see him in the mirror. So we're seeing them both in the one shot. 
The next morning, Gitsy and Michael are in bed snuggling when a knock at the door says housekeeping, and they're like, go away. But the door then gets busted down by the motherfucking cops, and they drag Michael out of bed and arrest him. They're trying to get information about other people in the club scene. It seems like mostly Peter, because he was the one who was running that club with all the drugs and stuff. And so they're asking him questions about, like, all these different people. They have people's names on the walls and stuff. And they're like, well, Michael, if the murder was self-defense and if you cooperate with us, then it's fine. Like, they're treating it like it's no big fucking deal. At the same time, we see that James is writing the novel that he keeps mentioning for this entire movie, and he gets inspired and writes, like, a fuck ton of pages. So we see the title page, which reads, Disco Bloodbath by James St. James. And he's, like, frantically writing, kind of like that scene in Little Women, where she writes her whole novel, like, in kind of one sitting. And uh, he completes it. And he's, like, looking at it, and he's so fucking proud. And we look at the Disco Bloodbath page, and he flips it over, and the next page is blank. And he flips it over... And it seems that he actually hallucinated the whole thing and did not write his novel. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Don't do drugs, kids. Michael interrupts James and shows up at his door asking for money. And Michael giggles at all the blank pages that James had written and says he'll have to do better than that. And Michael tells James about how detectives are going to let him go free if he throws Peter under the bus. He says it's fun working with cops. And he shows no remorse for the murder. Mm. Uh, and this really bothers James, um, and he tries to reason with Michael to have him tell the whole truth to the police, because if it was self-defense, he'll be fine. But really, he's just not saying anything because he's an informant now. And he tells him, Peter was like a father to you, and this is just wrong. And Michael then leaves the apartment saying, I'm getting away with murder, and you're just jealous. James does more drugs after Michael leaves, and he hallucinates. And here's what he hallucinates. He's basically so fucked up, James is. That he is, like, witnessing the murder that had happened a while ago. Like, he's able to see it all. It's really interesting. So what happens is he's in his apartment, and there was that rat in the wall that bit Freeze. Now, James is hallucinating that a man in a giant rat suit is in the apartment. Like, this little rat crawled out from the floorboards and is now going to tell him the story of the murder. (laughs) So he witnesses this fight that actually happened between Michael and Angel. But it doesn't stop when Michael slams the vase down on the ground. Mm -hmm. That's what he said Angel did. Instead, Angel gets the upper hand in the fight and he starts choking Michael. Freeze then comes in to his defense by smashing Angel in the back of the head with a hammer. This doesn't kill Angel, though. And so Angel tries to get away from Freeze, but Freeze repeatedly smashes the hammer into the back of his head while this horrible up beat rave music begins to play oh. and the big rat man is like yelling out the details over the stories like, and this oh, is what happened. Oh, it's pretty, yeah you wanted your like moment of truth you're not getting <laughs> it's it it's pretty horrible it's pretty horrible and then we see michael and freeze take angel's clothes off and what they really did is they injected a bunch of drano into his veins to finish killing him mm-hmm. it's that's a horrible murder. And they, they can't identify or find his body for, like, a long time. It's in the true? river. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the movie then cuts back to James on the pool chair from the beginning of the film. And this time he is holding the book that he's written. He wrote the whole story about what happened. His phone rings as he's being interviewed from that little pool chair. And it's Michael on the other line. Michael is calling from jail. And Michael goes, Skrink. And James goes, Scrod! I'm just in the middle of a television interview for my novel, Disco Bloodbath. And Michael thinks it's kind of annoying and is like, James, why don't you go commit your own murder and start writing about mine? <laughs> and James is like, oh, I was just telling the interview- interviewers the story about how I got you arrested. 
And it seems like Michael doesn't know this. Like, that's new information to him. And he says, James Clark, I could just kill you. In a way that almost seems like a joke and not that serious. Then he says this thing, which is just kind of, um, like, he's trying to be profound. He goes, a prison isn't all that different from a nightclub. Everything's for free, and I don't have to get out of bed early in the morning, and I can have all the drugs and sex I want. And he says, after Gitsy and I get married, we can even have conjugal visits. But then James breaks the news to him that Gitsy has died of an overdose. Oh, no. So, like, all their freaking friends and loved ones are dying. Mm-hmm. And this does make Michael emotional. And it makes him think to thank James for that time that he saved his life when he OD'd. And then James all of a sudden kind of switches the mood from this, like, emotional thing and goes, Hey, I'm going to need to hang up now because you're trying to steal the story. And this is my movie, not your movie. So it's, like, still this competition for who gets the spotlight. And he says, You keep trying to turn this into an after-school special and I will not allow you to have the last word. It's my movie, Michael Alleg. Goodbye. And then he shows off his book to the camera guy one last time. And he does kind of imply here that although they're not really on talking terms, they're two peas from the same pod. So it seems like even though they're not friends, they still kind of look up to each other in a way. And then he, yeah, is like, this is the, mo- the book I wrote, Disco Bloodbath. Available now. Wow. And that's the end of the movie. Oh, wow. And in terms of fun facts, he really did write that book, Disco Bloodbath. And he wrote all about it in that memoir, but he also did get to write his own novel of fiction. He wrote a YA book entitled Freak Show. I'm very and curious I'm like, about that. Huh. And apparently it was made into a movie with Abigail Breslin. Whoa. And Alex Lothar. Interesting. Yeah, it doesn't have great reviews, but interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'd watch it. Yeah. Darker fact, Michael was released from jail in 2014 after only serving 17 years, but last year he died of a heroin overdose. Mm. So I just think it's, it's, drugs are tragic. I mean, look at the lives that they're destroying. It's also very bizarre to me that AIDS isn't touched upon in this movie, and it's like like, they're losing all their friends, but all of them to just OD stuff. Um, That's really, I mean, it's super sad. I mean, I can't imagine being in that kind of world where that happens all the time. Especially for the, you know, so many of the people in this film are like gay or bi, and it's like to have to worry about losing your friends to both an overdose and to AIDS, it's like... I mean, maybe these people just never had it, so that's why they didn't touch upon it, but I do find it odd that they weren't touching upon it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it was only that one time to joke that James had it. it. Yeah. Whereas, when I, I watched that thing, like, they did talk about AIDS on the talk shows and everything... And, like, RuPaul has, like, a great dig at Reagan about what was going on at the time. Mm. And it's just like, yeah, that that was all you could talk about in New York. That was, like, everything that was happening. Yeah. Are you ready to rate it? I'm ready. Ratings in three, two, one. It's a four and a half. Okay. I put a five and a half. Six and a half. Ooh, Ooh. four, five, six. No one wanted to commit to their full numbers. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. I think five and a half for me is, like, generally low, but also for this movie I think is a pretty reasonable rating. Mm. Mostly I'm just interested to see like their performances like that I'm really intrigued by that. I wish that Macaulay Culkin was in like a lot more stuff. Mm. I don't know it just it seems like a movie that I've never seen before. You That's know actually true. there's this movie Courtney you're gonna know the movie it's Matthew Lillard. Oh SLC Punk. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I feel like it has that kind of vibe. It does yeah. And I liked that movie, but it's a movie that I didn't return to because it's kind of hard to watch. Yeah. It's kind of feel like it's vibes like that. Dang, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was just, I, I have like the, the lack of like responsibility and remorse and like this walking around, like you're not going to receive consequences for your actions Mm -hmm. is difficult for me because, you know, it's the question of like, are we supposed to empathize with these people who, or this person evidently who was a murderer? Yeah. I don't think so, but I do feel bad for the stuff that he's gone through. And especially, like, like how cyclical his life ended up being. Yeah. Like, it's very difficult because I, I don't want to feel bad for for someone like that, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's a conflicting movie and an interesting movie and a unique perspective on it, and I just don't really know what to say about it until I feel like I've seen it. So that's what I have to say. Thank you very much for your review because before that I kind of was just going to go through like a series of likes and dislikes, but I think that's a better talking point is just what the movie is substance wise Mm -hmm. and how it kind of connects to my views of people and the world and what I'm getting through this story in the form of these characters. And I really think something like SLC Punk is more of a tragedy to me. Mm-hmm. And something like 13 is something I could obsess over and rewatch again and again. And something like Train Spotting is really good art. Yeah. And it's the same kind of mishaps and the same kind of tragedies befalling these characters. And I just relate to those three pieces of art so much more than I did Party Monster. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, it is kind of like nobody's learning from their mistakes. And it's like hard to see that as a true story because none of those other things are true stories. And this one mm-hmm. is. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like you have to examine the morality of true crime and everything. The pros for this really are the costuming and just like the chemistry and the fun that Macaulay and Seth are having. I can see how this is a cult classic. Like I'm sure there are tons of people out there who are not going to like Drop Dead Gorgeous, but I love it. Mm -hmm. And so if you love this movie, that's great. But like, I don't see myself ever going back for it. I think that it's silly to watch with a friend and it's silly to like like it's like night of the demons to me i'm like wow that's wild and like i'm happy screen can scrot are now in my vocabulary but um it's ugly to look at (laughs) the characters are just mean they're just bad mean people and it's like it's funny at times until you get to that end and it's like oh that's not funny that's real and that's sad and it's like and now even in even watching it, I didn't really notice. And now in describing it, I'm like, that person died, that person died, that's yeah. sad, that person yeah. died. Lots of people. It's pretty upsetting. I'm happy if you like it, because I can see how it is a cult classic. And mm. I rated it higher than the average Rotten Tomatoes rating, but it's like as high as I'm going to go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I maybe would like it better if it wasn't a true story. I no. think oh, I like think I would love it then. I'd be like, so silly. Perception yeah. of and it. like, especially like with the big rat man, I'd be like, that's so funny. But I'm like, Angel died. Yeah, exactly. And like a big rat man is telling the story. That's kind of a bummer. I'm reading <laughs> yeah. about the murder. I was like, you did horrible things to his yeah. body after the fact. Yeah. Like, this is just sad. Yeah. That's that's true crime for you. Like, mm-hmm. where does it end? Yeah, I, I struggled with my rating on this one because I was like, I definitely didn't like love it. While it is enjoyable, it also isn't. Like you said, it's not very nice to look at, even though there are a lot of things in it that are nice to look at, such as the costumes and some of the, like, I don't know, some of the the way that they do play with things like that. Even though it's horrifying when the rat is describing the murder and the music's happening, it's like they're being very creative and giving me something very interesting to watch, but it's like... It was filmed not on nice. <laughs> like, it is horribly filmed. Yeah, and I think that I just do like it for the cult classic aspect of it. And it's funny that you said, it, like, not that it reminds you of Night of the Demons, but that you brought that up because it reminds me so much 
of movies that I feel like my sister showed me when I was way too young to be watching them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the exact kind of movie she would have shown me when I was 12, and I would have been like, I'm watching mature film. <laughs> um, and so there's something about that that's almost, like, nostalgic for me, where I'm like, I would totally go back and rewatch this. And I think that's why I gave it a 6.5, is because there's something about it that I, I think it's mostly the way they talk and the silly language they make up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll go back for that shit. Yeah. I just want to quote it. I want to memorize the lines and say it to my friends. I love that you brought up those other two movies. 13 and what else did you say? Train spotting. Train spotting. Yeah. Like, yeah. That whole vibe and like flavor of film is like like a time. You it know? makes me think yeah. of like being under a bridge. Yeah. It's all early 2000s, people fucking up their lives and hopefully learning from it, but it takes time mm-hmm. and... And I don't feel like these people did. <laughs> Whereas 13, like, it ends on a cathartic note. SLC Punk is tragic. And Trainspotting, like, hey, they have a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Uh, watchlist ads and recommendations. Kayleen here. My watchlist ad for the week is going to be the movie The Worst Person in the World, which has a different title in whatever language it's in. I don't remember. I saw this on a Letterboxd review, I think, a little while back. So that, I'm adding that to my watch list, and hopefully it's somewhere that I can watch it soon, probably at the Hillcrest Theater. And then my recommendation for the week, just because it it gives me the same vibes as all those movies that you were talking about, and I've only seen this once, and I was like 12, and at my (laughs) sister's house, and I, this recommendation is solely coming from the fact that I was like, this is edgy, and I'm 12 is the movie Gia, starring Angelina Jolie, where she's a model, and I'm pretty sure it's in New York, and it's, like, fucking underground and, like, dirty. (laughs) That's how it feels. Gia. Cool. For my watch list ad, I'm gonna add Silent Night. Uh, Deadly Night? No, 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 no. no, The one with Roman. The one with Roman, the one with Keira Knightley. There's actually, like, a lot of people. There are, yeah. I think it's, like, a, like, dark comedy, like, kind of, like, Krampus. <laughs> well, I don't know about Krampus. I've never seen Krampus, but it's like, I'm, I don't know what the trailer, it, they're having Christmas dinner or something, and everybody's very happy, mm-hmm. but they're also talking about how they're going to die imminently. Mm. Like, so I think it's like the end of the world or something. Oh, like it just like a fun Christmas horror movie. Yeah, like some, there's something fun. very dark, but very like off kilter about it, and I, I'm, that's going to be my Christmas watch. Very <laughs> Kimmy Brand, I think. And um, for my recommendation, I am going to recommend SLC Punk. That movie's really good. Matthew Willard is, like, highly underrated actor, and I think he does a fantastic performance in that movie. I love Matthew. Maybe Jason Siegel, too. Mm-hmm. All right, Courtney here, adding to my watch list. I felt like earlier this year I was really into my 1001 movies to see before you die. I was also watching a lot of old shit, and I never got around to it, but it is also, like, another true crime with LGBTQ themes. I'm going to watch Dog Day Afternoon mm. with Al Pacino. I would like to see it. So that's on my watch list. And my recommendation for the week, it's that time of year. There's so much similarities. I mean, I do love, like, the other movies we talked about, 13 and Trainspotting. Watch those. But no, we're going full-blown rent right now. Oh. <laughs> um, it's the Christmas time, but also this is... Artists living that bohemian lifestyle in New York. Mm -hmm. The AIDS epidemic is a huge factor in this story. And I was a rent kid. I don't know what you want from me. Back on my bullshit. It's time. (laughs) If you want some of the things that Party Monster has, but music and wholesome, check out Rent. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday, Jesus. Yo. Ding dong. Happy birthday, Jesus. 